Hi there, and thanks for joining us. On this episode, we are delighted to be joined by the Lord Mayor of Cork, himself a businessman, talking about how his role interacts with other businesses. And we hear about the local impact of social entrepreneurship. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Now, my next guest assumed the highest role in the city just a few weeks ago and has hit the ground running. More recently, he's been celebrating the success of pedestrianisation and the rejuvenation of the city centre. Lord Mayor of Cork, Cullum Kelleher, how are you? I'm very well, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much for joining us on Red Business. You were talking the other day about how important it is to get the businesses up and running in the city and the benefit that they're seeing from pedestrianisation. We wouldn't have pedestrianised everything that we did just a few months ago, yet now it seems impossible to go back. Yeah, completely. It's, it's, it's kind of ironic. It took us a pandemic to realise that we could eat outside. Um, <laughs> uh, no, look, uh, we've, we've permanently pedestrianised 14 streets within the city. Um, we've received funding from Fault Ireland recently, uh, 1.4 million for the permanent pedestrianisation of those streets and to enhance the streetscape, the likes of outdoor furniture and outdoor awnings and stuff like that. But we're leading the way nationally from a local authority point of view in relation to permanently pedestrianising streets. You can see it uh, when you walk in around the city, Jonathan. Um, there's more footfall. People are more enticed to come in, sit out, have a beer, have a bite to eat, um, you know, meet meet their friends in the city centre. And, uh, you know, business then, it can like trickle down economics from that because once they're finished their their, their meal or their drink or, or what have you, they go in and they start shopping in around the city. Um, We've experienced an increase in footfall in the city uh, during the pandemic, would you believe? Um, It's kind of like uh, you you would imagine the opposite should have happened. Um, I know other local authorities uh, did the same in relation to pedestrianising certain areas of their cities, but Cork City Council is the first to permanently pedestrianise. Mm. Look, we always like comparing ourselves with Dublin, particularly when Cork is doing better than it. They didn't embrace it to the same degree up there, and and it was all temporary. You you went full throttle and said, no, no, there's no cars going back on these streets. These are for pedestrians from now on. Completely. Like, look, you look at the likes of, uh, you know, Princess Street and Cook Street and and Caroline Street. They're all adjacent to Oliver Plunkett Street. And Oliver Plunkett Street was pedestrianised at certain points of the day anyway, um, with, with the raising barriers. So when we had a look at it and it came before council we decided that you know we either go big or go home here and what what type of model do we want for our city centre um, and I know that other local authorities have been in contact with my office and also with the chief executive's office in relation to how have we done it and and how can they mimic it um, I know Dublin and Galway and even Limerick are looking at permanently pedestrianising certain streets above there as well um, Cork is uh, uh, has received 1.4 million from Fault Ireland um, as I said to uh, enhance the streetscape um, and the, the, the public realm around the, the permanently pedestrianisation of the streets in question um, and, and we're, we're, we're actively looking for other funding from central government and from EU funding also so I don't think we're done in that regard um, but the uniqueness of I suppose the design of Oliver Plunkett Street with all the side streets off it the template was there and no one realised it 
you know. Um, like I went up Princess Street the other day there now, and it looks like something on a sunny day. You, you confuse it with Italy or, or, or you know. <laughs> you know. I, I, I'm not sure I've ever thought I'm on the Riviera on Princess Street, but I, I'll try and visualise it next time I'm there. Um, the, this is permanent now. So are we going to see how the streets that currently have that permanent infrastructure get on before we consider moving it elsewhere? Because I think that it gives the city a whole different feel to what we had pre-pandemic. Completely, completely. Look, as I said, people are going in, they're meeting their friends, they're on Princess Street, Caroline, Cook Street, um, and they're sitting down, they're enjoying the, uh, the, 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 the city, the ambience, the atmosphere, Obviously, a lot nicer in the summer. The money we got from Fault Ireland will, will weatherproof it to a certain extent. And look, it's it's in its infancy. We can only enhance it. I don't think anyone um, from a business point of view or, or from a public point of view uh, realised the potential that was there. And as I said, it took us a pandemic to realise we could do it. So it's a silver lining. Um, how long will, it, will we evaluate the success of it and look at other streets? That remains to be seen. We can't pedestrianise every street in the city. Um, but, uh, like, you know, you look at even, like, Grafton Street in Dublin when they pedestrianised that a number of years ago. There was uproar that they'd stop vehicular tra- traffic through it. And lo and behold, now it's one of the busiest shopping streets in, in, in the country, you know? Yeah, well, let's not forget the Grafton Street in Cork is after getting a new lease of life as well because people didn't even realise it was there. Now they're sitting outside it, is sipping a cocktail or two. Um, the nightlife side of it, though, mm. Lord Mayor, hasn't come back. And and we're conscious that we're looking now at, at the next couple of weeks when nightlife and nightclubs might resume. The fear you'd have is that some of the niceness, some of the reason people have gone back in, if the nightclubs start opening late night, might get a bit messy. Some people might be put off. Are you worried about that? Oh, look, I think there's, there's an air of personal responsibility upon everyone. I know the nightclubs have been detrimentally affected during the pandemic. Um, obviously, like the, it, with the lifting of restrictions again now, a further lifting of restrictions on the 22nd, um, uh, and the social distancing uh, requirement is going to be scrapped. We will have an increase in footfall in the city after hours, something that has been lacking for the last, I suppose, year and a half, 19 months. Um but it's no different to pre-pandemic, you know. Um, a good policing model, uh, you know, uh, business communities and nightclub owners and late-night bar owners coming together, working with city council, working with the guards, and uh, you know, working with themselves in tandem um, to implement a good policing policy for after hours. You're always, unfortunately, going to have aggro when there's drink involved, particularly late at night. But I would hope that you know the, the good citizens of Cork would have their wits about themselves, not to ruin it for anyone, you know. Um, I have to talk to you about your, your yourself, if I can, Colm Kelleher. I, you, you are something of an oddity uh, in the City Council. And so far as you're a businessman, uh, you're new to the Council. This is your first term. Um, people who work in business, who are their own business mm. owners, uh, tended to shy away from getting involved in local politics. A, because of the amount of time that's involved. But B, it, it, you know, a lot of people go, why would I do that to myself? Uh, <laughs> but you're there um, and, and you're given voice to business in the Council. Is this a different approach that you're taking as a result of the experience that you've had? Well, I suppose, look, in, in my business mentality, you're right. I am a businessman. Um, I, I, I own a chain of tyre centres, uh, tyres and Keller Auto centres. I live in Palancolleg, Victoria Cross, and in Bandon with, with my brothers and a very successful business. I'm, I'm glad to say we've built down through the years. It's, by no means was it easy, um, you know, but as, as all business people or entrepreneurs would know, um, you know, unless you take a chance at anything, um, you know, nothing materialise. I suppose my, my, my business acronym would be a very linear thought. I'd see a 
cause of a problem, I'd see a solution and I'd cut through everything to get to it. You can't do that in politics. Um, you have to meet in the middle ground because your, I suppose, you know, point of view may differ substantially from, you know, another elected member's point of view or one of the executive, executive's point of view. And their point of view and also your point of view may not always be the correct one. But if you try to, which I thought when I became a, a politician that I'd, I'd cut through the red tape, it's a lot more easier said than done. But that being said, um, traditionally politicians haven't, in Ireland anyway, haven't really come from, uh, I suppose, the, the, the business background. Um, thankfully, I'm in a position within my business that I can give a bit of time to this. Politics is a personal interest of myself. But one of the main things that I would be, I suppose, focusing on is, albeit you have to meet in the middle ground, I would be trying to streamline stuff because one of the re- main reasons I got involved in politics out in Ballancolleg when I first stood in 2019, and you're correct to say it's my first term on council, and I was delighted to be elected Lord Mayor back in June. Um, so it's been kind of a, a rapid rise to going from, I suppose, just a, a businessman uh, to then an elected member of the council, and then two years later to chair of the council as Lord Mayor. Um, but I felt back then when I decided to run that. I had engagements with city council or county council at the time before the boundary extension. And uh, I just thought that there was a lot of red tape that was unnecessary and it was sometimes productive. So that was one of my main reasons for getting involved. But look, uh, there has been advantage. Well, the obvious question, have you managed to cut any of that red tape? I, 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 look, not all of it. Um, it, it. It's a lot more easier said than done. But um I think, you know, since I've become a member of council and dealing with the political groupings in here and dealing with the uh, executive in here, um, they they find me, uh, as you said, a bit of an anomaly. Um, I, 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 I just, I'm not one for for uh, sidelining stuff. I just cut through the red tape and uh, sometimes I've been successful and other times it's, it's still a work in progress. Hmm. And wh- when you are looking back on this term, and I know you're only just after starting, what would you consider to be a success? Uh, for the business community uh, uh, after you being in that high office for 12 months? Well, look, I suppose if you look at the city centre prior to the pandemic um, and you have all the issues that go with it and, you know, you you had panabans, you had, you know, reducing footfall, you had car parks, the whole lot. I think that the main focus of Cork City should be after post-pandemic is that we recover better than what we were prior to it. We're awakening from a COVID slumber um, and the, the investment that's been put in by central government with the Docklands, with the city centre quarter, with, with, with the, uh, the infamous event centre, um, which are all seen to be finally now within sight. I think that when we do come back, we need to support businesses bigger and better than we did before because we're running a national or a city development plan at the moment and we're modelling it on a 15-minute city. Um, But the main ethos of that is that you bring footfall back into the city centre. Unless you do that with businesses um, and retail and even even accommodation, that's not going to be possible. Um, So one of the main things, when I leave office in, in... uh, next June, if I had, you know, a, a contribution to do that, that Cork is a good place to do business, it's supportive of businesses, it's supportive of entrepreneurs, for people who make employment, for people um, that bring footfall and bring revenue back into the city. If I can have helped in some way in that regard, then I would have considered it a, a success. And is Cork in a great spot right now? Because you speak, I was only talking to someone today about London, they visited and they said it's dead that there's nobody in the centre of the city anymore because all the workers haven't come back, even though in the UK they can. Dublin is very, very similar. Dublin at night, it isn't much fun anymore. Cork, because it's a small, compact city with all the 
effort that has been put in by the businesses and by the council is very, very different. Could Cork steal a charge here? Oh, definitely, 100%. And I spoke with my counterpart in Dublin just recently about this, um, and she was saying that they're finding it difficult um, to entice people back into Dublin city centre. Dublin is is far bigger than Cork, obviously, and it's sprawl. You'd have town centres like Drumcondra now and Crumlin and stuff like that, where you'd have all your local amenities out of the city centre. We have it to a lesser extent here in, in Cork with the likes of Douglas, Ballancolic, Blarney, but it's great. We're such a small, compact city that we can entice people back in. Um, and I do believe that we can steal a charge here um, like because, as I said, we're leading the way with the permanent pedestrianisations of the streets. Uh, other local authorities are looking at us, um, but it, we're kind of bucking the tread, trend as well because it's happening in London, it's happening in Dublin, it's happening in Berlin. I spoke with a colleague of mine recently, something similar is happening there. And we, we seem to be bucking the trend. We've increased footfall into the city. We've increased business into the city. Um, and, you know, if, if we can maintain that, the better, you know. Uh, well, look, we, we await with interest to see how many people will be out there eating their dinner uh, on a cold, wet night in November. But I'm sure there'll be some souls who'll be happy to do it. And don't forget, it, uh, is a, it's always sunnier more than it's raining in this fine town of ours. Lord Mayor of Cork City, Colm Kelleher. Thank you so much for joining us in Red Business. Thank you, Jonathan. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. Now, a mindfulness programme for children is just one of the projects led by the latest graduates of the Social Entrepreneurs Ireland Ideas Academy. Kind Minds was set up by Cork-based Sarah White and Julia Hearn and is designed to empower children's well-being through workshops and guidebooks on mindfulness, creativity and kindness and all the good stuff, really. And it is the result of the work of Social Entrepreneurs Ireland. We're going to talk to Sarah in just a minute. But first up, Darren McMahon is Development Manager with SE. I, Darren, how are you? Good, Jonathan. How are you? And thanks for having us on today. Uh, it's lovely to talk to you. Darren, tell me a little bit about the work that you guys do. Yeah, sure. So to tell you really about the, the work we do is, is to focus on the first two words of, of the name, really, and, and what is a social entrepreneur. And the way we see it as an organization, as, as a social entrepreneur, is one of Ireland and society's sol- uh, problem solvers. They're typically, you know, they work close to a problem or they have a direct connection to a problem and they've decided to act really. So part of what we do as an organization then is to support those people uh, on their journey. And we would have three kind of key kind of areas of interventions, which we would call step, leap and soar. And Sarah, who you'll hear from today, is at the very first part of that journey, um, taking the first steps and putting an idea into action. Okay, well, let's find out what Sarah did. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Jonathan. Uh, Lovely to talk to you. Um, Tell me a little bit about Kind Minds and and where the idea came from. So uh, Kind Minds, as you said, we set up to empower children's well-being through mindfulness, kindness and creativity. And so Julia and myself had been, were basically were Montessori teachers. We'd been working with children for a long time. And we had seen uh, an increase in kind of anxiety-based behaviours. And I mean, you know yourself, the pace of life has changed so much for everybody, particularly in in recent years. And we noticed that um, when we used mindfulness activities with the children, we saw a huge reduction in these anxiety behaviours. So we thought, you know, this, this is great. And like parents were noticing it as well. So we thought, let's... Can we put this together? Can we put enough um, activities and tools together to make a program for children that would really benefit them? And Mm. that's basically what we did. 
Yeah, now I know my kids are big into mindfulness because it's it is taught in schools. Uh, back yeah, in, back in my day, uh, you were lucky to to kind of escape without getting a clatter. But um, <laughs> yeah. now it's obviously a lot more focused on their mental health and their well being. But teachers and parents need extra resources on this because it's it's not in our natural ability to deal with this because we struggle with mindfulness ourselves. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's it it is, and it's and, and it's great to see that because, as you say, like we we weren't we weren't given these tools, and I mean, as as parents, what we want to do is we want to shelter our children from the storms and things. But like the best we can do really is to give them a raincoat, and you know, so that they can they can weather the storms, and that's what these techniques basically do for them. Yeah, what what kind of techniques are we talking about here? Is is it the idea of just you know taking a couple of seconds to withdraw? Counting to ten was always a big one. Yeah, well, counting to ten is a great one, and it basically it kind of comes back to the breath. What we've done is we we have a couple of programs. We have the Kindness Crusaders program for um, for children, so that builds skills. Um, like each workshop that we would do with the children would have a different skill that we'd concentrate on. So we might say the first workshop we'd work on the breath and, you know, especially small children, they wouldn't, you know, breathing in through the nose and maybe out through the mouth. That's not something that they typically be used to. So we do a lot of games and things around that just to get them used to that. Um, And then we might work on, say, um, their senses and super focus and um, gratitude and kindness and things like that. So to them, they're playing, they're playing games and they're having a lot of fun and so are we. Um, but what we're doing is we're trying to build, um, give them a load of techniques in different areas. So for in, uh, breathing techniques, movement techniques, meditation and creativity as well. So just that they have, they have that, um, that kind of toolkit of techniques that they can take with them and use when they need to. Darren, obviously a very important work being carried out by Sarah and by Julie, but if we were to look at, at where the funding for this comes from, who supports Social Entrepreneurs Ireland and, and how do you convince them to part with their hard-earned cash? Yeah, sure. So we are we are a national charity um, and a registered charity, John, but we are totally privately funded. So we would have a number of supporters that would back programmes like the Ideas Academy. Um, we would have a lead sponsor who was Bank of America, and also then in the West, the Lives to Good Foundation would, would fund that uh, initiative. And down here in the South, the Tomar Trust would be would be a funder of the of the Ideas Academy South. Um, in terms of kind of who those kind of people are, they're, they have many backgrounds. Some are individuals, kind of kind-minded, kind um, impact-driven individuals who kind of maybe have started up a business themselves and, and are looking to give back. Corporates then is very much so focused on 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 the community or or, or in initiatives like like Sarah, but are, are looking to back kind of community driven or impact driven um, individuals, and then philanthropic foundations would kind of be the other cog in, in our wheel. Um, you got you put a call out for applications for funding. Um, obviously, we're speaking to one of the successful applicants, but y- your your demand massively outstripped the funding available, didn't it? Yes. So up to we've been around since 2004 and up to this point, we've been able to support 435 and just are in, in around that kind of different social entrepreneurs. Some of, of your listeners might be familiar with the more national names, the likes of the Pieta House who focus on mental health, uh, Food Cloud who focus on food waste, maybe as well, uh, GIY who focus on kind of grow it yourself initiatives and, and men's sheds. 
But then as well, we would have the likes of, of Sarah who were coming in for the first steps and that journey, you know, start, starting out, out on that first journey. Um, this year, we, we, we aim to work with it in and around kind of between 90 and 100 different social entrepreneurs. But there are many, many more that that we are looking to work with. Um, as, as I kind of said earlier to you, John and I am based, based now in Cork. And one of the initiatives that we're looking to do over the next while is really start to grow a network of support down here for, for social entrepreneurs like Sarah. But also when the call for applications comes out every year in, in kind of March time that we see more applications coming forward from people looking to start a new idea. Okay. And the the call has gone out for this year. There will be funding again next year. And I suppose, Sarah, most importantly, if anyone wants to find out a little bit more about Kind Minds, how do they go about doing it? Uh, well, we're online. We're, uh, we have a website, which is kindminds.ie. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram, the usual social media outlets. Um, so yeah, if anybody wants to find out, we're, we're hoping to run some practitioner training workshops in the very near future as well. So come and find out about us. Okay, very good. Sarah White, co-founder of Kind Minds, Darren McMahon, Development Manager with Social Entrepreneurs Ireland. Thanks both for joining us on Red Business, guys. Thanks, Thanks a million, Jonathan. My thanks, as always, to all of my guests. Don't forget you can download every episode right now from redextra.ie. Kira McDonough was the producer, and we'll catch you on the next one. The only show in town for Cork Business, Red Business.